Fantastic. It's a great things are happening, eh? Always there's great things happening. We need to be expecting great things to happen here tonight, great things to happen in our lives, great things among youth, great things among, uh, among uh, older people, great things in every area of our life. One of the great challenges, I believe, for people who are 50 and above, how many know that God is, uh, is, is moving in the earth? Uh, you know, how many know this, that you know, the bulk of the world's population is under 30? More than half. How about that? And so what God is doing is going to be all among the younger generation. You know, and one of the ways that will help that be activated is people who are older uh, need to rise up and begin to impart experience, wisdom, and resourcing for the gospel to touch the next generation. And so if you're in the 50-plus age group, you should not be thinking retirement. You should be thinking about how my next years of my life can be powerfully used by God to make a difference in the world. What can I personally do to position myself in my relationship with God? And what can I do to simplify my life? And what can I do to get involved at a practical level in helping financially or in prayer or in counsel or advice or support for the work that's going on? Is that man to that? And, and we can do that. There's always things, always ways we can get involved. We can get help with the youth, get help and support and transport, help and support and security for events we do with them. There's always a way to get involved. And once you get involved, you don't just get involved and do a job, you start to interact with the people to find out and get to know them so you connect with them, and then that's how things begin to happen. Everything happens because we connected. Amen? That'd be great. It's a great challenge, isn't it, eh? Then we'll just get old and tired. We'll stay fired up. Fired up. Hey, we prayed for Bill this morning. Bill's 90, and he's still fired up for God. So that's given a new platform now for everyone else. You know, if you're 90, you need to be still fired up to witness in the Holy Ghost. Amen? So that means if you're still 60 or just 60, then don't even think about slowing down. Just speed up because the clock is ticking. <laughs> Got to get yourself involved. Okay, we're going to look tonight at exercising your faith. Exercising your faith. I want you to get into the Bible, into Mark chapter 4. And we're going to read a story about Jesus and uh, what he said, what he did. I want you to look at the story. It's a real story in the life of, uh, of the disciples. And uh, when you look at the story, there's a part of it seems incredibly unfair until you understand something really important behind it. How many understand that without faith it's impossible to please God? Hebrews 11.6, without faith. Faith is, now faith is more than just, well, yeah, I believe that. Yeah, yeah, I believe God is good. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, I believe God exists. Oh, it's good. Yeah, I believe that God does miracles. That's all good. But in the Bible, believing is not just about your head saying yes. In the Bible, believing is the heart being willing to entrust itself to that truth, and it acts out that. In other words, always in the Bible, faith is outworked in what we do. So if there isn't anything in your life that's visible that shows you have faith, then your faith isn't operating, and it's not authentic or real, or it's just not operating at all. So true biblical faith always must outflow in what I do. Right, the idea? So biblical faith is not just a believing, it's actually entrusting myself to what I believe. So now I'm going to live the life that's, that's required of that. Amen? So you may, we can, how many believe that God provides for you? There's one or two believe God provides for you. Well, you see, if I believe that God will provide for me, then I have to discover in the Bible what he says is my part in this process. It's more than just believing my faith must turn into specific ways of governing my finances in alignment with God's word, integrity and honesty. And it also requires I position myself by doing certain things. 
So I tithe. I don't tithe because I have to. I tithe because everything I have belongs to the Lord. And when I tithe, I'm actually acknowledging this is just part of God's bit. And then when I begin to give, it's actually giving as led by the Lord, never because someone wanted money or was in a need. It's always, God, these are your resources. I'm your steward. What I have, I release when you tell me to. So someone comes with a manipulative sob story, I never give to it. I usually challenge them on their attitude. Any idea? Well, because I'm not going to be manipulated by that kind of deal. I want to listen to what God is saying and be moved by what God is saying. So we have an offering message, for example, here. The offering message isn't to persuade you to give, you, give lots of money. If it was, then it's, it's a fraud. And I've always felt, when I've been in any kind of meeting where people were saying anything that was trying to part me from money, I always just shut down and said no. Unless God speaks to me what I should do. I won't be subject to manipulation. But what we do in the church is we encourage and inspire people to put their trust in God as the provider, and when their trust and faith is in God, then to reflect it by then the response of giving. But if you give and there's no faith in your heart, you've given out a duty obligation, it's just like a dead work. And it's good to do it, but it's still not as good as if there's faith, and what I'm doing is coming out of faith. Any idea? So faith means I've heard God speak, I've entrusted myself to what he said, and now I speak like I believe it, and I act out like I believe it. I live my life as I believe that. Get the idea? So if, if I believe God's my provider, then it has to actually show out in a number of ways. One way is I'll order my finances so they line up with God's word. And two, I'll begin to give in a way that reflects that I trust God to be my source and that these, these finances belong to him. And three, I will begin to speak in terms of God providing and I'll be a generous kind of person. That actually is the demonstration of faith. You see, now, I don't try to make that happen. You actually get faith in your heart first, and then this is the overflow of what you really believe. It shows in what you do. Any idea? See? So, so when there's genuine faith in your heart, it will always reflect in your attitude, it'll reflect in the words you speak, and it'll reflect in what you're actually doing. And so faith starts off little like a mustard seed, Jesus says, and it grows. So how do we actually get some faith in the first place? Well, the Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, how faith comes into our life. Faith comes into our life by hearing the word of God. Hearing. Now, that's not I sat there, oh, yeah, well, I listened to a good message. It's, not, it's more than that. But remember, biblical hearing means I heard it and something rose up and I trusted that and then acted on what I heard. That's biblical faith. Faith, the Bible says faith is substance. It's actually a deep conviction. This is true, and I'm so convicted, it's going to change what I say and do. So people often say, well, I believe. But actually what they mean is, now, I hope, or I think. But heart faith, faith is from the heart. With the heart, man believes. So the way I get faith into my heart is I must expose myself to Jesus speaking to me. I've got to position myself with desire to hear him and then respond to what I hear. And as I respond to what I hear, then I begin to exercise faith. And as I exercise it in small matters, my faith begins to grow. So faith grows. It's, you start off, everyone is given a measure of faith when you become a believer. It's your responsibility to grow and develop your faith. And the Bible says, we live by faith. We walk by faith, not by what we see. So I find so many Christians, their life is governed by what they see. 
If I see it, well, then I, I can respond to that. If I feel it, then I'll respond to it. So what happens is circumstances, feelings, conflicts actually begin to control the way they live rather than a deep, growing trust in God. And so if I want to live a life that's fruitful and productive for the Lord, it doesn't matter in the end how many meetings I went to or didn't go to. It doesn't matter how many experiences I had or didn't have. What will count at the end of the day is whether progressively I cultivated my faith life and walked in trust with what God said to me. Now, that's the life of faith. And it's a growing life, and it's full of its challenges. Now, we're going to read a story, and when you look at the story, at the first instance, we're going to be looking for the disciples and what's happening to the disciples, because we're disciples of Jesus Christ. And if you're not a disciple or follower of Jesus Christ, you could become one tonight. It'd be great. Just begin to give your life to Jesus, start to walk with Jesus. Well, better to walk with him, you know, where you're going. You're going to heaven, you know, and you're going into your purpose and destiny. You're walking out, you're not walking with him. Well, we know where you're going to. Not a good place. And you're, you're walking all alone. So we want to walk with the Lord. So these, we're going to talk, look tonight about a story about the disciples and their, their following of Jesus. And they get into a tight spot and they respond in a certain way. And then they get a bit of a roasting from Jesus. And when you look at it, it looks like it's, well, that's a bit of, hang on a minute, Jesus, that's a bit tough. But I want to show you why Jesus spoke to them as he did, and I want you to see what he was expecting of them. Huh? He was expecting something of them. And, and I asked myself, I wonder why he expected this of them, and I found out some, some why. So let's kind of look in the story. It's found in Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. We're looking about exercising our faith. Because without faith, we can't please God. So he's looking for a faith life. So let's have a look at Mark chapter 4. And we will pick it up in, down there in verse, uh, we'll go down to verse 35. Now on the same day that evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. And when they left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and there were other little boats also with him. And there was a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, and it was already getting full. And he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they woke him up, and they said to him, Teacher, don't you care we're perishing? We're going to die. And here you are sleeping. What's up with you? Don't you care about us? And he arose, and he stood up, and he, he rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Peace, still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And then he turned to them and said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it you have no faith? In one of the other uh, gospels stating the same thing, it says, how come your faith is so little? How come you have such little faith? Or in the margin of my Bible, it says, do you still have no faith? Now, obviously, he's expected something of them and they have missed their moment. So we want to have a look at what this is all about. And they feared exceedingly. <laughs> They're even more afraid. Now, oh, who's this? what is this man that even the wind and sea obey him? And when they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes, and he came out of the boat, immediately they met up with him out of the tombs, a man with a demon. And he was well and truly demonized. Okay, we're just going to stop there and, and pick it up and have a little look at the story. Now, I want you to start off here, with, and we're going to look at who's there, who's involved here. Now, you notice this. First of all, there's Jesus. Secondly, there's his disciples, then there's the multitudes, and then there's others who are following him. So you're somewhere in there. There, there were multitudes of people come out to hear him because they were curious, but they weren't his followers. 
A lot of people curious about Jesus, not necessarily his followers. Then there was another band of people. It says they came out in lots of little boats. They were following, but they weren't close to the Lord. And, and then it tells about a group of them who were close to him. Now, not only were they close to him, it says on the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. So they got a clear assignment from the Lord. Now, you've got to understand, Jesus has spoken to them. This is what he's saying. We're going to the other side. We're going to the other side. We're going to the other side. That's what's up. I'm giving you a clear direction. Get in the boat. We're all in a boat, and we're all going to the other side. He didn't tell them all that was on the other side. In fact, what was on the other side was a whole region that needed to hear the gospel. The region was under the control of witchcraft. It was under the control of spirit powers. And so he was saying, I'm calling you to accompany me, and our mission, our assignment, is to reach people that are not reached yet with the gospel. Our mission is to cross over this lake into this region that's never heard the word of God and to let them see what I'm like, see what God is like, let them see the, and experience the Lord so they can be turned. And when you follow the whole thing up in its outcome, you find at the end of the story, the whole region came out to meet him. But that didn't happen immediately. So we're going to look at what happened. So number one, the disciples received an assignment from the Lord. In your life, God wants to speak to you and give you an assignment. An assignment is something God has called you specifically to do. Something he's spoken into your heart and said, I want you to do this. Could be just a little thing, a simple thing like raising your children a certain way. It could be a simple thing like doing some things in your marriage. It could be a simple thing like doing something with your business. It could be a simple thing like uh, reorganizing your finances and, 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 and reordering them according to God's way. So whatever it is, whether it's a little task or it's more related to your life or to a season in your life where he's told you perhaps to go somewhere or to pick up a new job, whatever it is, it refers to an assignment Jesus gave you personally. And he wants to direct every one of us. So you're either in the boat with Jesus and he's given you the assignment or you're tagging along someone else who's got an assignment. Okay? They're in the boat with Jesus. The others are tagging along. They haven't been given the same assignment. They're following because they want to see what's going to happen. So in our life, when we commit ourselves to listen to the Lord, he gives an assignment for our life. And it unfolds as time goes on. He doesn't tell you it all. He didn't tell them about a storm. He didn't tell them that the moment they land, a demonized man who's a maniac, who's out of control, he's wild, he's naked, he lives in the tombs, he tears chains apart, this demonized man is going to meet them and try to terrify them so they can't fulfill their assignment. He never told them about the storm, never told them about the demonized man that would come against them. Didn't tell them any of that, just said, we've got a job to do, there it is, over there, cross the lake. He just told them, I want you to cross the lake. We've got an assignment over there. We've got something we're going to do. Now, if they understood the heart of God, they'd realize what the assignment is. Jesus said what it was. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, heal the brokenhearted, cast out the demons, and bring vision to people's lives, uh, spiritual vision. He's called me to, uh, to lift the burdens off people. He called me to release people. So when Jesus says, go to the other side, there's people for you to impact with your life. And you don't always know the full scope of it. You don't always know the full extent of it. But he just says, get in the boat with me. I've got an assignment for you to fulfill with me. We're going on this thing together. And the purpose of it, at the other end, people are going to be impacted. Now, 
This is the thing in following the Lord. It's always going to go the same way. It'll always end up with you engaging people in need and bringing the life of God to them. It's always like that. Whether it's in your business, in your school, in your community, it doesn't matter where it is, that is what God is on about. That's the mission he gave everyone. It doesn't matter how many variations of it, it'll always come down to the same thing, people being impacted for Christ. So get in the boat, let's go. Now you understand now, they've got in the boat, they've got an assignment. So have you got an assignment from the Lord? Have you got anything the Lord has spoken to you about what you should do? Okay? So J Jesus has got in his heart a vision of a great harvest. So when he says, get in the boat and come with him, and we're going over here, what he has in mind is that your life will have impact on people, but he won't always tell you what's coming on the way. How many found when you gave your life to Jesus, he didn't tell you any of the stuff that was going to happen to you? Hey, he didn't tell me either. If he told me, I'd have, been out, I'd have never said yes. Why would I have never said yes? Oh, the thought of doing some of the things I've done and the, and the going through, I'd never have said yes. He said, I love you. I said, do you? Oh, 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 I can't have died on the cross. Oh, oh, okay. He says, follow me. And one day he says, he said, follow me, feed my lambs. He says, I want to make you a pastor. Oh, yes. I had no idea what that would mean. No one knows what it means when you say yes to Jesus. I went on a first missions trip. No one told me I'd be stepping over piles of human dung. Nobody told me I'd be in a little wee room there with someone dying and it's dark and the smell of death is through the place. It's horrible. No one would tell me that I'd be in a riot. No, no one told me those things. Jesus doesn't tell you all the details. He says, trust me, get walking with me. We're on a journey of a lifetime. It's got some adventure in it. And you were made for that. So they got in the boat. So what happens to that boat? Well, the storm comes up. Now, what's the deal with the storm? How come there's a storm? I thought you said we're going over the other side. Storm. Now, listen. So number one, you need to, need to listen for God's assignment for your life. That's number one. You need to listen for God's assignment. You need to get in the boat with him and start to commit yourself to fulfill that assignment, whatever that is, whether it be little or big or whatever. And the second thing is, storms are inevitable. Storms are inevitable. Now, they're either going to intimidate you or they're going to be an opportunity for you to exercise your faith. If Jesus said cross to the other side, do you really think his intention was to get them there? Do you think he planned, I'm going to trick them, I'll get them in that boat, and there's a storm, and they'll sink. It's not like that, come on. Well, it happened to Paul a couple of times, but that's okay. You know, the boat, he, he ran to float to shore, you know, it was okay. It turned out okay. It doesn't look good sometimes when you're following the Lord. Sometimes it doesn't look good at all. Sometimes you're in a storm. So what happens is a huge storm. There's winds blow suddenly, and they do come up very suddenly there in that part of the world because of the, the, the sea, that's the, the, the lake they're crossing there is at the bottom, uh, below these mountains, and there's great winds blow. So now the winds are firing up, and the sea's rising up, just like on Lake Chapa. You get there, you see the cloud, you pull the anchor, go to shore, because in a short time, you've got a big storm coming, and those waves get real big, real quick. And when you're in a little boat, and you've got no outboard motor, it is a problem, a big problem. And they were fishermen. So they knew water, they knew the lake, and they knew they were in trouble. There's a big storm. Now here's the question. At the core of the big storm, 
Is Jesus committed to get you where he said he'd get you or not? And if he's committed to get you to where he said he's going to take you, then you've got to ask, what's my part in the storm? Storms are going to come. Storms are inevitable. You can have a financial storm. You decided, man, I'm going to position my finance to give. And then suddenly you find, whoa, everything went wrong. And you not only couldn't give, you're in poverty. You're struggling to wonder whether you survive. That's a financial storm. Comes up out of nowhere. You can have emotional storms come up out of nowhere. You can have storms come up in your marriage. Storms come in your... Storms can come anywhere. It's like a demonic wind blows in and it just is an opportunity to exercise faith. You've got to keep your eye on the assignment. If you, now you listen, listen. We, we, we at the school thing, I want to tell you all the stuff on the school thing. I want to show you how it illustrates this. God spoke, start a school. He told me, give up a career to pioneer the school. Cross to the other side. And then we get to a point, and uh, we've been trying to buy this land, and we can't get any land, and, and then the people want the building back. And I've got, I'm there in November, and I've got to have a school. I'm off the property in December, and I've got to have a property and have a school built by the end of January. And there I am. I've got no school. I've got no property. I've got no future. And the end, I had to ask this question. Did not Jesus say, start this thing? Can't he finish what he started? So in the end, I decided because he can finish what he said he'd start, I said, I will not believe you will let this thing close down when it's thriving and vibrant and you said start it. So even though I've got no idea how we're going to get through, I said, well, start to make buildings. So we made buildings when we had no land, believing we'd get land. And you know, when the storm came and the storm went and then we had the buildings up and we had the school and we had everything we needed. But there was a terrible time in a storm. And in the storm, it's your chance to exercise faith. Every storm that comes is your opportunity. The storms that come when you've decided to follow the Lord are designed for you to exercise faith. Not to be intimidated and quit and give up. Any idea? So, okay, a great windstorm. And he's in the stern asleep. He's in the stern asleep. Now, interestingly in this story, between for their assignment to be fulfilled, they had to get through a storm and, and to deal with a demonized man. I mean, we're not talking about an ordinary man. He's got wild eyes. I mean, he's ready to rip them apart. There's a major demonized man, out of control, full of demons, possessed. You know, eyes rolling around, and he just absolutely, so they've got two obstacles. They don't even know about the second one yet. They're only just getting the first one. This is the first one. Okay, so the storm has come on. Now, I want you to notice Jesus' attitude of faith. He's just asleep in the storm. Yeah, why is he asleep in the storm? How can you sleep in a storm? Very simple, because I know where we're going, and we're going to get there. That's heart of faith. See, because he knew the Father was directing him to go there, and so faith means he's at rest even though they're opposition to where they're going. See, now you can tell the level of your faith, as you can measure it by how uptight you get when a pressure, a turmoil, or a storm comes around you. Some people fall to pieces because their faith is not deep. It's not rooted in them. Their faith is in what they see and what they feel. So when there's a contrary circumstance, contrary storm, emotions get high, things go around, what happens is they begin to panic and stress out. 
because they're trying to want to have it all under control. But Jesus said, hey, I, I want you to go. They want you to do this. The storm? Oh, didn't I tell you about the storm? Oh, oh okay. Well, I want to see what you guys are do. I just want to see what you'll do. I want to see what is the quality of your faith. I want to see whether you really believe. I want to see how deep your faith is. And the only way I can say, how deep's your faith? Oh, Lord, I'll follow you. Okay, okay. Sounds good. Let's put a little bit of heat on there. See how deep the faith is. Huh? Come on, that's how it works. And so, you notice, he's, he's got an edge faith. He's confident he's going to get it, so he's asleep. And not only that, his expectation was, if this anything comes up, you guys sort it out. I told you where we're going, what we're going to do. So you notice that uh, we have to confront things and resist things that come against our assignment. Every one of us will face opposition to fulfilling our assignment. You have to stand up and learn to resist and overcome things that oppose your assignment in life. Whatever God's assigned you to do, there will be resistance to it. There must be, because it's life-changing for some people. So therefore, it's automatic. The, de the devil will try to find a way to resist you getting to where God's assigned you to get. So if God's given you an assignment in the school to impact your classroom, to impact the school while you're in the five years you're in there, it's inevitable there will be a storm of resistance and opposition to that happening, and you have to actually stir inside and, and rise up and overcome what is resisting you. I, haven't, I cannot think of anything... You know, like, like when we start, when we got this building here, for example, now you know there was a lot of money around, and then when we got to decide to buy the building, it was like money dried up overnight. There was no money available, absolutely none. There was a church went broke up in Auckland, and the banks got a message run right through, don't lend money to churches. And yet God said, buy that building. So how do you buy a building when you've got no dough? That's a storm. But we've got it. So must have done the right thing. Must have done the right thing. Man, must have done the right thing. You can't believe how God provided. We just built it bit by bit by bit by bit by bit. As we had the money come in, we built the building. Sometimes people, trucks would drive by and drop stuff on the road. Well, just what we need to build. You can't believe it. <laughs> we, had a, we had a business go down. They decided they're going to demolish it. Would you believe it? They had... All those tiling, ceiling tilings in that room in the back area there, yeah, they come out of a, of a building uh, that was going to be demolished. And some guys from church went down there late at night, climbed in there, and they were, I didn't say they broke in. <laughs> they asked if they could take, it was going to be just to have the, the bulldozer go through it. So, that, so the team went down, and they got all the stuff, and we've got all those ceilings in there and a whole range of other stuff came out of a building that was going to be demolished. God provided you can't believe it's just one story after another of God's provision. Of course, when we started, we didn't have all of this stuff. Here we had nothing. We just had like a little screen up, and we, we were facing the other way, and we were down there about nearly at the back, facing towards the back wall. That was it, you know? Had a screen around because it was this huge, empty building. And, uh, but that was how it started. There's always a storm on the way to get to your destiny. And so you've got to decide what you're going to do. So once you see what they did, so, so we've got an opportunity now to exercise our faith. Now, what did the disciples did? They woke him up. Ah, you don't care that we're perishing. So you notice here that fear. They, over, they were overcome by fear. So they, here, they've got a word from God. Go there. And what arises is fear when they see the circumstances. Fear gripped their heart instead of faith. Now, when fear grips your heart, the first thing you're concerned about is yourself. You notice what they say? 
I'm going to die. The first thing that happens is when you're afraid, is you're worried about yourself, your spirit closes, and you don't process anything anymore. It grips your mind. All you can think of is how I can save myself. Fear causes you to lose sight of God and to focus in on yourself. And following fear comes unbelief. You then decide, I can't trust God. So that's what they said, Lord, don't you care? Now, you understand now, they've got an assignment to get from here to there. In the middle of it's a storm, and now suddenly everything has changed because they looked at the circumstances, and then it overcame them. And they then begin to think, God, you don't care. We're going to die. You've got to do something to help. So they ran panicking to Jesus instead of doing the one thing he wanted them to do, which was to exercise faith. It's amazing. And you see, so let's have a look. Let's read down. So, so fear will cause you to focus on yourself. Fear will erode your faith. It'll steal your faith. Fear will cause you to have a negative picture of the future instead of what God said. Another thing that fear does, it'll steal your opportunity to grow. It steals the opportunities away from you. So when fear, how many have felt fear? You felt you started out in something, then you felt this gripping fear. This is a problem. How many felt that? Oh, yeah, we all felt that. Now, it's an opportunity to grow, but if you give way to the fear, if you come into agreement with your fear, which is a spirit and a mentality, you will miss the opportunity God gave you to grow. Then you'll either panic and run away, quit and give up, or you'll run. Oh, you care, Lord. I should never have gotten the boat. That's what people do. Oh, I've never done this. I should never have done Now, listen, you had a clear word to do it, this is the chance to exercise your faith. So you actually have to stand up in the middle of your storm and do some things. Now, see, Jesus did what they should have done. Here it is. He said, so he stood up. He rose up. Number one, he rose up. So the thing is, he was asleep, so he rose up. So he rose up more than just stood up. He stood up in his authority, and he spoke words into the storm. He spoke words into the sea. The words were full of faith. Why were they full of faith? Because, listen, he knew, I've got a job to do over there. There's no way the storm and the water can stop me. I have to do something. So he spoke at them. What else are you going to do? Your choice is to stand up and bring forth the word. You see, because faith will always speak. You think of all the miracles Jesus did. He spoke something. You've got to learn, instead of complaining about your circumstances, speak into them. Speak into your emotions. Speak into your spirit man. Speak into the circumstances. Speak into the atmosphere around you. That's how miracles take place. That's what Jesus did. And so he did it. Would you believe it? It worked. And they were astonished. And then, but his comment to them is the thing I want to draw your attention to, because the comment to him shows a whole lot of stuff here. So, so you notice here, he points out their lack of faith. He says, why are you so fearful? You're full of fear. How come you're full of fear? How come your faith is so little? See, so the thing is that what's happened here is something's wrong. Now, it, we have to learn how to stand up and speak forth our faith. So the question I began to ask is, I wonder why Jesus gave him such a hard time. Because I think if I was in the boat and in the storm, I'd probably freak out. I've been in boats and storms, and you do freak out. You just freak out is the best word to say, oh, I'm going to die. It's possible. You know? And, and see, I remember being in India and standing there, and, and this, this whole thing's rioting. It's all out of control. And I felt this first flush of fear, I may never see my wife and children again. That's the first thing I felt. And then immediately, I thought, no. God sent me here, you're going to look after me, you're going to look after my family. And I felt this huge peace just come. Unusual and unbelievable peace came. 
And then when we drove to the city and there was a chance it would be stopped by rioting crowds and, the, and turned over and burnt, there was this peace in the middle of it. So you've got to calm the storms. You've got to deal with the storms of life. So I, asked, I began to ask the question, I wonder why it is that, that, that Jesus was so tough on them. See, what he expected them to do was knowing they've got to get to their destination, to do what they could do, which is stand up and speak words to the storm. Now, why did he expect them to do that? And why did he say to them, and gave them a hard time saying, boy, you've got little faith. Where is your faith? Haven't you learned anything yet? It's kind of like he's saying, guys, you woke me up for this? I expected more of you. It's disappointing. Now, why could he expect more of them? I'll give you some reasons that I found why he could expect more of them. And, uh, and so I, I had a bit of a hunt around. I found some reasons why. Here's the first one. There's, there's, there's about three that I found why. Here's, here's the first one. Number one, they had seen how he operated in the supernatural, speaking to sicknesses, and when he commanded them, they went. And when he spoke to demons, he commanded them, and they went. So he, they had seen him operating in faith. Impossible situations turned when he spoke to them. They had seen that many times. He, would, he expected every time they saw something to learn something from it. So they should have learned from that, that that's how he operates. And of course, when they woke him up, that's exactly what he did. He spoke to the thing. Okay, here's the second thing. In Matthew 8, in Matthew's version, this story comes just before the storm story. In Matthew 8... He'd gone on the way to the centurion's house, and the centurion said, sent a servant saying, you don't need to come to my house. I'm a man under authority. If you'll only speak the word, my servant will be healed. And Jesus spoke the word. The servant was healed. And Jesus said, what great faith. So he'd already shown them what great faith means, speaking the word of God, understanding authority in the word. Okay then, so that's that. And then, so that's two reasons why they should have known. Here's a third reason. He'd just been teaching them. Look what he'd been teaching them in Mark chapter 4. Verse 23, he's talking about faith. He's just given the parable of the, how the kingdom of God expands. It's like a seed. You hear the word of God and a seed comes into your life and you've got to decide what you're going to do. And he says the first thing happens, the devil comes, tries to take it away. Second thing is, pressure comes, takes it away. And they'd asked him, what does this parable of the sower mean? He told them, look, this is how God builds. He puts a word in your heart. If you'll hold the word and nurture the word, then your faith begins to grow and you see realities. But he said, the thing that happens immediately after you've heard the word, the devil come try and steal away your word or your faith. He said, second thing that'll come is storms and pressures and tribulations will come on you to steal away your faith so it doesn't grow. He said, the third thing that will come will be the weeds which will try and choke out your faith by getting you so busy with other things you don't cultivate your faith life. He'd just given them a teaching and they'd asked him what it meant and he told them what it meant. And then he, he, he drove it home to them in, in Mark chapter 4 and verse 23. Says, Anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Then he said, take heed what you hear. The same way, the same measure you use, it'll be measured to you. To you who hear, more will be given. For whoever has, to him shall more be given. Whoever does not even what he has will be taken away. Seems like he's talking riddles there. But the first thing is, he says, faith is all about hearing the word of God and responding. So he said, if you have ears dead, do you have a hunger to hear? Listen with a view to acting on what God says. He that is the ears to hear, let him hear. 
doesn't mean sit there listening. He says, he that has a heart to respond to God, listen and act on what he tells you. Okay? Now he says, now, the way you measure it out, in other words, how you respond with what God has given you determines whether you get more. So if you want your faith to grow, you have to act on what already God has given you and that positions you to receive more. And he says, if you don't, if you keep hearing, but you don't put into practice what you're learning, what you think you have will drift away from you. He's just taught them about it. So they've had the miracles, seeing the miracles and how they operate. They've seen the principle of faith, the word of command, the authority that goes with that, and they've had his teaching about how faith operates with the word of God and the need to apply what you've got. And so now let's go to the other side. And now a storm comes up. Now is their opportunity, and here's the question. Who in the 12 will hold in their heart what Jesus has said and actually stand up and give it a go. But you know what happens? Man, this is a big storm. Boy, we're going to die here. They just forgot everything they learned, and they woke him up and asked him to do what he wanted them to do, and missed their chance to grow. I was uh, talking with Dave Hogan, and I asked him, I said, how did you get into this whole thing of raising people from the dead? And he said, well, I began to hunger and ask God for months uh, to, to, to impart to me the ability to work this miracle of raising people from the dead. He said, I just hungered God for this thing. And a long, long time he sought God for it. And then one day, a guy died in front of him. And he freaked out and didn't do a thing. In other words, his storm came. And he just, when the storm came, fear came with it. And he just didn't do anything. So then he just went back and he repented. He said, oh, Jesus, I am so sorry with what I've done. I am so sorry. I missed my chance. And that guy buried now, you know. He could have lived a bit longer because I missed my chance. When you think about that. So then he said, okay. And then he repented deeply. And then he came along and said, give me another opportunity. Meaning, send me another challenge. Okay. So they're working hard, doing all their mission stuff, and they decide to have a day off and go to the beach. So they go to the beach, and they're sitting on the beach, and people are having a time to relax. It's a day off. It's a Monday at the beach, wonderful day. And his son looks at him and says, Dad, and then he begins to choke, falls over, and dies. That is a storm. That's a big one. Now, of course, everyone comes around. They want to try and revive him. He can't be revived. Everyone comes around. Now they want to take him up to the hospital, blah, 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 all this stuff. You know what he did? He said no. He took his son in his arms. He went back to the hotel room. And for six hours, he prayed and commanded life to come into him. And then suddenly his son woke up. But it wasn't all, it wasn't all complete. Now, it looks like it's a, he's, at least he's alive. That's better than being dead. But the, but the thing was he found... I think he was, he was uh, blind and deaf or blind and dumb. One of the two things, anyway. And he prayed further, and then the son was fully restored. Now, understand, when the lesson came, he missed it the first time, so God allowed him to have it a second time, but it wasn't just the same. It was with a greater storm. Now you've got the storm of emotions and grief and fear and anger at God and all that goes with that. But he stood up, and he did what he knew he needed to do, and God came through and he had the miracle. Now, of course, in his ministry, there have been over 200, probably about 300 raised from the dead, which for some of you freaks you out, can't figure that one out. But, it, but that's miraculous. 
Now, you're not asked to raise anyone from the dead. You're asked to actually follow Jesus and the assignment he gives you, which is to reach out to people in need. And as you do it, when the storms come, stand up and rebuke the storms. Stand up and exercise your faith so you can go from level to level. And let's just finish up right now just with this. I, I was talking to one guy. It was quite interesting. I talking to a guy. And uh, he said, oh, man, God's called me into the miraculous, into, into miracles healing. And I said, that's great. He said, I've got a problem. I said, what's that? And he said, I'm sick. <laughs> I said, welcome to your storm. God has called you to, on an assignment to heal sick people. And now you've got a problem right in front of you. A storm has come up contrary, trying to resist you getting where you need to go. You have to stand up and rebuke that thing and believe for the breakthrough in it. I was talking with Dave Hogan about it, and he said, we had one guy there. We've been praying for a victory over hepatitis or some kind of thing like that. And uh, he said, one of the workers, one of my own workers got it, and he's dying of it. And while he's on his bed dying, and he's got about two, three days to go before he dies, people from a village, they came and they said, you've got to come and pray for us. We've got all these people sick of the same thing, hepatitis. He said, all sick, they're all dying. We want you to come. And he's thinking, I'm dying too. But they knew that they'd been praying and God had given them a word about healing. So they carried him on a stretcher to the village. He just lay on the stretcher. They brought the sick people by laid hands. Everyone was healed. He was carried back. That's a storm. But when he got back, that same day he was healed. And they have had almost 100% breakthrough in miracles in that area. Everything we're called to do has a storm of some kind or another. It's either circumstances or it's people. First they got the storm and the circumstances, then they got a man who was absolutely crazy trying to frighten them not to do it. And when both, storm, both storms were dealt with the same way by speaking the word of God into it. And when you look at the end of the story, the whole multitude in the region came and heard the gospel. Listen, friend, whatever your assignment is, God has an assignment for you. But that assignment will take you to people who have need to hear the gospel. That assignment will take you to people who need Jesus Christ. That assignment will take you to people who are hurt, wounded, have no hope, and need something you've got. But between you and that assignment being fulfilled, there's going to be some storms. How many of you young people, God, spoken to about things you want to do in the school? Things you want to do in your friends' lives? But I bet... Before that happens, you've already experienced a storm. Maybe it's a storm in your family because your parents aren't saved. Maybe it's a storm, kids in the room or the classroom giving you a hard time. It feels like everything is against you. Listen, don't look at that and be overcome by that. Keep in mind, I have an assignment from God and no storm will stop me getting to the other side. Instead of being gripped with fear, I will stand up and begin to speak God's word until the circumstance change and I get to the other side.